Welcome to South London Hardcore. I'm Jack McEnroy. My co-host is Steve Walsh. Hello. And our guest this week is comic creator and filmmaker Andy Piaggi. Hello. Welcome to the show, Andy. Thank you for having me. If you want to see Andy's work while you're listening to the show, ajpiaggi.com, which is A-J-P-O-Y-I-A-D-G-I.com. Uh, and is on Twitter as well, AJPRG. And you can buy his stuff, AJPRG.bigcartel.com. We'll get to what you can buy as we uh, progress okay, in the show. Cool. So Andy's got a new comic out. Yes. Lost Property. Published this week by No Brow. I was lucky enough to get an advanced copy of the book and uh, knock my socks off. Really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's beautiful. great. Let's just get that out Thank front. You. It's Thanks a beautiful you. little piece of work. Charming. Thank you. Yeah, lovely uh, style to it, of course, as with all your work. The colouring, spot on. And it's one of those things where you've you've found, I think, the right home for your work. I can't think of a better publisher for you than Nobrow, in that they have such a meticulous attention to detail, production. You know what I mean? It's the sort of thing where I think it's a great marriage of creator and publisher, where you're someone I know that is very meticulous about your work and how things are put together and I think you've found people that are going to understand that play into it and follow your lead on it mm. yeah that's good to know I mean I was um, I guess when I started out I was a big fan of their the, the, the stuff they were putting out particularly the 17 by 23 series which is what Lost Property is a part of never sort of imagined that I would ever be part of their roster or have a, the opportunity to kind of do something for them but so I was totally thrilled when I had the chance um so, yeah, I mean, I would have been happy to be, just to be published, I guess, um, but to be published with them was a real honour, so, yeah. And really they approached happy. you as well, so that's a, a nice thing, isn't it? Rather than, you know, you've produced this thing, you're zipping it out to, like, 15 different publishers, fingers crossed someone's going to get back to you, you know, they get in touch with you and go, we'd like to do something. That's a real tribute to work as well, I think, isn't it? Well, thanks, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, it, the idea didn't really exist as a, as a in comic form before... Um, I was in touch with No Brow. Um, it was an idea that I sort of had potentially for a short film. I'd sent them um, bits that I'd done, self-published bits like Teapot Therapy and other bits and pieces. I think I might have emailed them a bit or just at conventions and festivals dropped off a printed copy just to show them what I'd been doing. Um, and then eventually got a call from them when I applied for LCAF. I think I think that was when the call came in. It was like they'd had a, the opportunity to look at my stuff properly when they're looking through all the different submissions to exhibit at the fair. Um, so it was off the back of that, I think. Um, and asked me, yeah, if I wanted to sort of pitch a couple of ideas for that series because they were going to relaunch it. I think they'd had a bit of a quiet spell where they hadn't put any of those books out and felt they wanted to start again with it. So, uh, yeah, I had a, I had sort of the lost property idea, which I developed a little bit, and then another idea, which was kind of slightly more tea-based, and, <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> so I thought I'd, I, I was sort of wanted to get them, give them something um, that was familiar in terms of subject matter to my other stuff, in case that was what they were interested in. Um, so that being the tea, and then something completely different, in case they wanted something completely, you know, unrelated to what I'd done before. So did it start off as a short film idea then? Because it's it has a kind of narrative feel of a short film. You know, you you. You can imagine it as a short film, but it's very much like you use the comic medium. It's not like someone's gone, I'll just bang out my short film in comic form. Like, say, like the kind of centerfold 
of uh, you know I'm I'm willing to do spoilers up to the middle of a book <laughs> when there's a, you know there's a load of interconnected ob- you know objects yeah. are an important part of the book um, there's a load of interconnected objects and it's a kind of would that have been a montage I guess in there, well it? that's the thing isn't it it that, that wouldn't exist in film form no. would it no even though uh, it was a short film idea to begin with it wasn't actually developed in any way so right. the, the short film idea it was it was really a seed of an idea that I'd had with an actor friend who was in my um, last short film and we were just sort of having a cup of tea together and talking about potential other ideas we could work on together it was really just a casual conversation and the idea of what would happen if you found every object you ever owned hidden in a place um, came up and I thought god that's actually that's quite a, that's an interesting starting point for something and that was it and I think I may have written a few notes to develop it into something bigger, but it, but it, nothing came of it. And then it sort of like um, got lost in a list of other ideas that I sort of keep um, in a book somewhere. And so when the no-brow opportunity came around, I was looking through that list and spotted it and thought, hmm, maybe this can work in 24 pages because that's the dictated length of the series. So in a sense, like asking about it being an adaptation, it wasn't even no, really right, a film. Right. There was no script or anything. I hadn't even imagined... I didn't know what kind of a space the objects were going to be stored in. So really I was starting from the basics of the idea. And and so the, so the centre spread, I guess, comes from it being a comic to yeah, begin right, with. Yeah, right, right. How different is your approach to doing the two things, making films and uh, making comics? Is there a similarity? I mean, imagine you do your own storyboarding. I don't always do my storyboard just because I'm not, I'm not quick enough. Um, <laughs> I get the opportunity when I'm yeah, directing ads or whatever to work with some amazing storyboard artists. And I probably, like, blame their amazing skill for the reason I didn't get into comics earlier because I would sit and work with these amazing, talented people and ask them to draw whatever you whatever you c- can imagine, like, a you know, a monkey riding a tiger down the side of a mountain or whatever. And they would just draw it in front of you and I'd be like, I would think this is what you need if you're going to, like, be a storyboard artist or even better, draw comics, you know, because I always wanted to draw comics. Steve will know this from our <laughs> time at school together. But, um, and so that sort of thing really put me off. And so I would, I would, re- I'd rely on that sort of talent when I'm directing. But where the process is similar, I think is like the writing stage, the stage before that, where you're just kind of, well, it is for me, you know, structuring a story and thinking about a story and getting it down on paper, because I'm not, I don't really consider myself to be that visual. I prefer to, figure everything out with words first right, as much as you can you know if drawing a comic you've got, you've got to get around to thumbnailing eventually um but i like to try and figure it all out with words i, just, I find it sort of more comfortable i'm quicker at structuring with words than i am with images um that's interesting so you're I, not you're not make when you're making a comic and making uh, ads or films you know i mean you are literally constructing a story made of juxtaposing images mm. but that's not really, you kind of convert that into words and then back into images. Is that the idea? I mean, I, you know, it's a bit of an odd way to to phrase it maybe, but do you know, do you know what I'm driving at? Are you talking about going from a film to a script? No, it, yeah, like... Um, from an idea into a piece yeah, of work. Yeah, exactly, from an idea into a piece of work. Like, you know, say I, like, I would say the commonality would be, within, in, in, in any sort of storytelling, is basically you're taking an idea and then breaking it down into 
how it's going to work as a as a, as a as a piece of work, aren't you? Yeah. So with words, you mean? Yeah, yeah absolutely. In terms of using so you're, words, you're as structuring it in yeah, terms yeah. of this will happen. You know, uh, in a very basic way of beginning, middle, end, and you know, as, is it true, folks? Says, and that can happen in any order. I know the quote, but yeah, yeah. But uh, it's that thing yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. In every example, whether it's an idea for a short film or an advert or a comic, you have this core idea. And then it's like, right, what's the element of that going to be? Yeah. What are, the, what are the, the, the parts of that going to be and how are they going to unfold? Yeah, and I guess kind of in a kind of more specific way, do you approach edits, you know, cuts and frames the same way you approach panels? Cool, that's a good question. Um, well, it's, what's, what's slightly different about editing is that I often work with an editor. Right. So... Um, uh, you know, which is like a lot, you know, filmmaking is a collaborative process from, is almost from start to finish. And so you're basically like hiring people who are better than you to do the things that you can't do, you know, or, or can't do very well. So in that instance, you know, you'll work with an editor who can put the frames together in a, be- in a better way with a better pace and rhythm than you could alone. I mean, some people obviously do edit their own stuff. I've edited my own stuff, but on something like a commercial or a bigger project, I like to work with, you know, an editor who, who's really good at what they do. But with a comic, you know, you're, you're responsible for that and for everything else that you would otherwise rely on other people for when direction... design and... Yeah, exactly. So it's all not going to look like... <laughs> and a style, like even things like what, are, what they're going to wear, you know? Um, you're yeah, in a, kind of a privileged... Aren't you? Yeah. yeah, you're in a privileged position if when directing something... Like you can run someone else who knows about wardrobe and makeup and hair, and and then when it comes to drawing it, it's difficult. I find that really difficult. You know, what should they wear and the style and cons- even consistency of hairdos across panels. I find that really, I find that sort of stuff really tricky. So, but going back to the kind of using words as opposed to using um, images at that early stage. I think really, like, even before there's any structure to a story, um, a lot of it for me is just like writing notes and notes, pages and pages of notes, whether that's a film or a comic. That's exactly the same process. It's just like sort of writing this, can I, should this happen? Is Should this happen next? Is this how it should end? Here are three different endings. It's always the same for me, that process, and it's always really laborious and long, and I feel like I write too many pages of notes for what you end up with. But I've I've learned to accept with certainly with Lost Property and maybe one or two of the previous projects I've learned to accept that that's just how I do it. I, I'm not able to get at what I feel is a satisfying um, foundation for something unless I've written a lot of and a lot of it's rubbish. You know, it's but not, also no one's no one's sitting down in their first draft sort of nailing everything. I think the way you're doing it is the way that every writer does it. In that you overwrite and you edit. That's that's I always guess. what you do. You, you, yeah. you, and, and I think it's the healthiest way to do it because you, you, you're not leaving anything out. If you try everything, if you write down everything, and then it's pretty much on your first pass in it, you're knocking stuff out where it doesn't fit, or yeah. it doesn't work, or you've had, there's an alternate idea that's definitely better. So then yeah. you, you sort of build it up and uh, sculpt it away. Yeah. And that's the thing. You shape the, the piece after that. Don't you? But with uh, with certain uh, cartoons though. I think like I remember hearing Dan Klaus talk about this once. You know, they they sometimes favour the approach of having a have a, a seed of an idea and then just sort of drawing it and letting it come to life on a page. You know, and then letting the character sort of dictate the story and just seeing where it goes, almost on a panel to panel basis. And maybe I'm simplifying what he said somewhat, but I get that impression that some mm. cartoonists do that, and I certainly 
Well, I've not tried it, but I really... Elmore Leonard, right, is one of my favourite writers. He, like, he would never know how the story was going to end. Mm. Like, he starts writing a novel, and he gets to 200 pages, he goes, like, oh, I better finish this soon. And it seems like he did that, like, every book. And that is just extraordinary, isn't it? But I think that's definitely the minority of people, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And also with, with Klaus as well, um, that, uh, I doubt if the, like, the first few things he did, that was the case. Right, I, right, I think yeah, it's a case of, like, you know, talking about, you're talking about someone who is, you know, a master of their craft. Yeah, people should, if anyone is listening, should go out and read some Daniel Klaus's absolutely phenomenal stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Wilson. I'm a big, I'm a big Ice fan. Haven. Ghost World. There you go, I was trying to wait for Steve to say it. <laughs> Death Ray. Oh. All of it, all of it. Yeah. So if we go back, Andy, let's go back to the start. You're from South London, I obviously, am. which is why you're sitting there. I am, yeah. Whereabouts are you from? Uh, well, I'm from... Um, well, I was born in King's College Hospital. Yes. Um, <laughs> Do you know what ward? I don't, actually. Because oh, I do, you see. I thought we might... Hear, hey, oh, you know what ward is born in? <laughs> what ward were you born in? Uh, uh, William Gold. Oh. As in, you know, the cover oh, really? from, from hell. Much, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was always fake. He looks a lot like Steve's dad. So. <laughs> <laughs> Bizarre. Does Alan Moore know that? It's <laughs> my dad knows that. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't. I don't know what would. I'd have to ask my mum. Sorry, Steve. Um, That's okay. I mean, we asked you to do basic research <laughs> for this show. Just know what ward in a hospital you were born on. Now, I, I, I only... Sort of, it's so evocative, isn't it? It's memorable. Yeah, Once yeah. you hear you're born on mm. William Gold Ward... At the time, we were living um, like around Loughborough Junction. Right. Um, so, on North, I think it was Northland Street, which is just up the road from Loughborough Junction Station, or thereabouts. My dad had a grocery store there, and we were living above it. Um, it's this amazing shop that was like a you know grocers and a deli, and it sold penny sweets and all that sort of stuff. And we lived upstairs. Um, was it called Piaggi's? <laughs> no, no, it wasn't actually. It was called something. It was called whatever it was when my dad took it on. Oh, so something quite, yeah. Um, I think it was called Lambusa Stores. Lambusta wow. Stores, I think. Don't know what it means. Don't know means, who that yeah. was. No, yeah, no. I should look into it. But I'm pretty sure that's what it was called. So my dad just left the name there. Um, but then I think when I was four, we moved to Up and Allwood, which was right around the college from St. Joseph's College, which is the school I ended up going and meeting Steve, this man here. <laughs> so, um, so, and my parents are still there when they're not sort of, they do, they spend a bit of time in the year uh, back in Cyprus, which is where they're from, but they're still there. So I basically grew up in Up and Orwood, but my dad, um, a few years after we moved to Up and Orwood, he, uh, well, a few years later, he sold that shop and then got another one, uh, a, just a greengrocer's this time, right by Loughborough Junction Station, right next door to it. And that was the sort of family business up until the mid-90s, until I think it was like the Safeways opened up in Camberwell. Right. And that sort of saw the end of those, you know, the local, some of the local oh, right. stores in the area. And business kind of unfortunately declined and he ended up shutting it down, which is really sad because it was like yeah. we'd all work there. Me and my brother and my sister would work there on the weekends, which was, it was kind of a miserable thing for us to do. But in retrospect, a nice, you know, it was a good... Uh, Good yeah, that was have, the end you know. of the grocery store era, wasn't it? You know, like the mid nineties, all the grocery stores closed down. Yeah, I remember my mum going to that Safeways. I'm sorry, <laughs> right? Uh, but also, in we we lived uh, sort of Peckham side of Campbell rather than Brixton side of okay. Campbell. So, yeah. you know, you we, we, we would have been walking past ways. half a dozen other green groceries to get to your dad's. I mean, it would, if we'd known at the time. <laughs> ah, <laughs> yeah. So you went to uh, where did you go to primary school? Oh, that was 
Rockmount, Rockmount Juniors, um, which was um, near, it's in up, you know, it's, yeah, right, it's, right. Yeah, it's around up and all, it's around the corner, basically, like toward, up towards Crystal Palace. So what was it like at St. Joseph's College? You obviously, you're both quite bright, so it must have been decent. <laughs> well, it's funny because I, um, it's really interesting because I hadn't seen Steve for, Steve for a long, long time until I came into Gosh and he was working here. Um, it was a wonderful moment, wasn't it? Where yeah, it was golden. We just sort of, we're, 15 years or something? Yeah, or at least longer. And not seeing each other. And then just over the counter, it was like, Andy, Steve. And it was like, yeah. And then this guy's into comics. So suddenly yeah. we had this natural yeah. reconnection. But talking, we've not talked about school loads since we've sort of met each other again. Um, but I have like quite negative associations with it. I really didn't. I mean, although I'm, you know, had some really good mates and had fun and you know that sort of stuff, I have a lot of negative associations yeah, it with wasn't, that school. And it I, wasn't, I don't know if you quite feel the same. About it wasn't it, a good school. Was uh, it? Really? No, no. Uh, it seems like I think I've, I've moaned at you about it before. Like in the second year, um, in the second year, we were taught history by Mr. Flynn. Yeah. Do you remember that rugby, yeah, rugby teacher? Yeah. Uh, exactly, not even a PE teacher, a rugby teacher. <laughs> so whatever, whenever you had PE with him, it was like rugby. Um, so, so, and it was quite common for teachers who weren't specialists in the subject to be teachers for a year, not for like filling in for a week while someone's ill. Yeah. So it wasn't particularly well run. Um, it was run by Christian brothers, mm-hmm. so there was black Christians. <laughs> <laughs> but there was there was a, a massive uh, focus on. Catholicism specifically yeah. and religion generally in the school, which is to the detriment of uh, your general education. You had things like, do you remember the, the like the the saints days and mm. like the first period mm. would all they they'd like knock off the first period and have a mass instead. Yes, go to oh, mass. Right. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. the thing is like you're supposed to go to mass. Well, I used to go. Well, I'm coming at ten. Get <laughs> uh, yeah, away with it. Well, you got I got away with it except for one day where I rolled in at like ten fifteen. I was late all the time. I was on reporting the first year. I had more, we had a credit and debit system uh, mm. in the school and I had more debits than credits and I went on report with like the baddest sure, boys yeah. in the year. It was like, I was among like the half dozen worst kids in the year. Sure. Not, in, not Nothing behavioural, but just like, I was never there and when I was there, I didn't want to be there. I hated it so mm. much. Mm. Um, and like, but so one of the things I used to do as an avoidant thing was like if there was a, a mass for the feast day, I'd just sort of come in yeah. after that and then go straight to the second lesson yeah. but I was late for that one day so I got in like 10.15 I'm just walking through the playground and brother Lawrence um, you may remember him Stern yeah. Yorkshireman loved his cricket Stachioed and that's it Catholic Stern red-cheeked brother who yeah. going around his robes like, yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> and I was walking the playground and he was like whoosh and I was like I brother Lawrence he was like um, you're late and I was like yeah no it's the mass today isn't it he was like, <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, uh, he was like, yes, and you're late for that. Five debits, isn't it? That's how you, it's easy enough to accumulate. If you, if you, then huh? I mean, like, I know what so, it is, but so you, you've got a credit and debit. It's system. like a house points, but you're going to be yes. in, in negative. Right? Yeah, you get two but, and you have a detention. Right? Was it two and two and you get a detention? Something like that. I I was getting right. like five or six a week. So like I was getting Saturday detentions right. where right. you had to come in on your oh, and like I, I'm actually literally leaving my mark on the school though because. My first Saturday detention, um, they got me, do you remember in the quad, mm-hmm. um, by where the RE things were, they gave me like these chalk dusters to clean. And Why did you clean and bash them? You're supposed to bash them into each other. They showed me. Uh, and I was like, just there. And I'm like, just inhaling this stuff. And I was like, this is ridiculous. This is killing me. So I just developed this technique. And I thought, lateral, they'll, they'll appreciate this. 
why has it never occurred to him before? So I just went over to the wall and I'm hammering it against the wall. Um, and uh, so, so I'm like turning my head away and just hammering it against the wall. It's just boring. Like this is the point, the point of the tension. That it's just like, you know, a punishment. You never want to do this A pointless again. punishment. Like lions and they tear them up in front of you and you're like, what's the, you know what I mean? There's nothing to learn here, is there? Um, so they came out like two hours later and I'd like cleaned these chalk dusters, but basically just left this massive amount of chalk on the wall, just like, and, and like, by the time, by the time we left, I don't know, I'm sure it's gone now, because you could still see <laughs> on this wall, where I just like, laced it with so much chalk dust, like it rained, and we, I, but the thing was, it sort of backfired as a punishment, because I was always quite proud, in the same as in my primary school, where yeah. I, I cracked a window, and like, it was there to the day I left, I've sort of it's like, like, your own tag, just it? this very mild, <laughs> very mild, destruction form of, behind the guy. <laughs> yeah, but very mild destruction, you know what I mean, not a, a ram, something to be proud of, but what I would, I suppose, I don't want to like be too moany about it, even though it was, generally, it was generally quite because... miserable. It was generally quite miserable. However, d- did you study art? Did you do? You did art. Well, you obviously did art. Did, you, did we all do GCSE art? I didn't do GCSE art okay. for three years. When yeah, you I did art. Right. Yeah, I do have fond memories of the art teachers and what yeah. they let us do. That was actually really good because I think they were just young guys who let us experiment. And, and one teacher in particular, I remember because I was really into my comics at the time just letting you uh, experiment and bring those sort of influences into the classroom where you think in a school like that, you might not. You know, no, if it was the, a different the teacher... The art teachers just were... Just Renaissance painting, isn't it? <laughs> no, the art teachers were the best teachers in the... I mean, I think the first year, I can't remember who we had night in the first year, but it was really bad. So there was like a whole lesson just on shading where there were boxes and mm-hmm. you just had to build up the shading across the boxes. And it was a sort of... Again, it felt like a, some sort of punishment thing. But those those art teachers, like later on, when we were in the sort of fifth year and sixth form, we used to play football with them in the sports hall uh, oh. after school on Fridays. Right. And they were really good. Like they'd sort of like keep the keys, get the keys off the PE teachers. And like, yeah. yeah, it was really, and it was a really nice sort of social thing. Yeah, they must have been really young. I mean, they Yeah, were... it's funny thinking about them now. Yeah. But they were lovely guys as well. Really, yeah. really nice. So I, that, that part, I've got a lot of, you know, I've got fond memories of those particular classes. Um, and that's important for you as well to have that sort of encouragement. I think at that age, I you know what so. I mean? it's important to yeah. have an inspirational, yeah, uh, and just freedom. I think freedom absolutely. just to like, yeah, the stuff that gets you excited. Like I remember, I was, I remember um, being really into Mike Mignola and yeah. and Dave McKean, like yeah. those two artists, and and just kind of ripping them off. Basically, yeah, in yeah. projects, one project was designing an album cover. And you know whatever you wanted as a twelve inch, and we had to do a twelve inch and a seven inch, and just ripping off Dave McKean and Mike McNola and bringing that. You know that's that's quite a good thing to do. You know that's absolutely and also fair play to you for at that age being into Dave McKean and Mike McNola because I remember when Mike McNola was doing the World of Crypto miniseries, mm. uh, me and Richard Taylor yes. laughing yeah. at it and going, "He can't draw eyes properly. Isn't this yeah. quite terrible?" Right, and just sort of like, just sort of going, isn't it an embarrassment that they've got this guy doing Superman comics and he can't even draw properly? Turns out, Mike Minola's really good, but I was an idiot. You're asking if I'm doing GCSE art, it would have been wasted on me, isn't it? it doing seven inch, I'm like, I'm going to do it like Jerry Ordway. Who's good? So were you like swapping comics and or chatting comics and stuff? Well, the thing is, because we're in different forms, and the forms tended for most of the lessons. Most of your lessons were within your form. So you were kind of stuck with the people you had. So it was really in the sort of spaces in between. Mm. Like I had Richard Taylor in my class, who was well into comics. So and we a really talented, of... really talented artist. Yeah, yeah. No, he was he was good. Uh, 
and a good he was a good study as well like he could sort of like if he saw a picture he could pretty much reproduce mm. it and he was quick as well weren't he that was the other thing he right. could literally do it in front of you who was who was in your form that was into comics who Richard O'Colo who um, I was going to ask you about because I was like Richard and his second name ever, he was great wasn't he yeah he was a he lovely was also lo- absolutely loved his comics but also a really talented um, artist and he totally inspired me because he produced the comic um, with his older brother. I think it was his older brother. And it was basically inspired and kind of a little bit ripped off uh, by the Watchmen called The Searchers. And they'd self-published. He, I mean, literally, I must say published. He would draw one comic and then that was it. And yeah, they'd yeah. staple it. Um, but he, they did like over 60 issues of this thing. Wow. wow. And, and it started off like maybe A5 and then it ended up by like issue 20... 20, it became like standard American comic format. Yeah. And he was doing like um, 18 pages or 22 pages or however many. It was like almost like a full-size comic. Right, and right. he was doing this. I think his brother was writing it and he was drawing it and right. then colouring it in with colour pencil. Yeah. And he'd bring this comic in and and it kind of blew my mind that he was able to... Because what I was drawing in my spare time was Batman or Wolverine or whatever. Not really my own characters. Yeah. And he'd created this group called The Searchers. And all these kind of like okay, there was a Iron Man s character, yeah, you know, Al s character, but, but still, still, there's still that extra level of creativity in there. Where stories you're like, I'm doing and, my version of, yeah. So that was really impressive, and I remember being really sad because we went to um, we stayed in touch after St Joseph's, and we both did our foundation courses um, at the London Institute. I was at one college, he was at the other, but we were in the same institution, and I was really sad to hear that he didn't choose to do oh, yeah. any form of art at university um, I can't remember what he did but yeah he left where it. did he go to uni can't remember because I lost touch with, like yourself lost touch with him completely yeah, yeah. but he was like the other thing about him as well he was so funny weren't he yeah he was yeah. so funny and like it was a real thing where because um, like we'd hang out away from school more than anything because at school we were in different forms so yeah um, yeah blood bowl isn't it that was uh, yeah was that around your house What's Blood yeah. Bowl? Uh, it, Blood Bowl is uh, a, a, a. This is getting properly nerdy now. Yeah. I want this out in the open. It, it's a, it's a, it's a role playing game uh, from the same people that make like the Warhammer stuff. Oh, you told me about. You've mentioned this on the podcast before. It's like the fictional like uh, it's like it's a like Warhammer American sport. Yeah, it's like an Amer- it's American, American football, football but mm. with Warhammer characters. And you were into that, Andy? Yeah, I was really. Yeah, it was your face. award, weren't it? I think. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I think shame. <laughs> yeah, you might have come round to like my house, or maybe I brought it into school. I can't remember, but I, was I remember playing it around someone's house, and I wasn't sure if it, maybe, yeah, maybe it might be Richard's yeah, yeah. house. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, but I remember it was someone's house. It was someone in Norwood. That was the thing. Yeah, so it, it was, was probably like, mine. Then. Yeah. Um, I was really into that. It was like, you know, painting the figures and getting into the strategy of it. And I I sort of like, I'm pretty sure we had to keep that quite quiet at school. Yeah, we didn't. You don't like, you'd get get beaten up if you like. At no point has that ever sort of gone mainstream, has it? (laughs) Well, that's not, well, that's acceptable. But it's also, and this isn't me trying to, uh, in retrospect, uh, act cool or anything, but like, I wasn't particularly into Blood Bowl, but I just wanted to hang around with these guys. So it's like, we're going around to play Blood Bowl, and I was like, brilliant. And then it got it got around there, and like I had no idea what was going on, so I was basically getting walked through the game. So they were like, "Roll these dice," and I was like, "Okay." And like twelve, that means you can do this. And I was like, "I guess to do that then." And, then. and it was like, you know, when you, it was almost like uh, someone's little brother who's come along, and they're just trying to like keep him involved. But um, no, it was um, yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah. So you went to university where, Andy? Oh, that was in Bath. Yeah, that was um, Bath uh, Spa University College, and that was 
I did my foundation year, my one year foundation at St. Mines, um, and that was good for like experimenting and playing around with stuff because that's the period where you just kind of decide what you want to do. Great space as well, isn't it, in terms of like a, a place to, to work, a lot yeah. of history there. And... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's quite an inspiring place to be. Um, where was Richard then? Because you were saying you were in the same... Yeah, he was at... Uh, I think he went to Camberwell. Right. So right. he wasn't at St Martin's. Yeah, he went to, which one. is part of the... Yeah, yeah, also really good. Um, so we would see each other at, like, the London Institute, like, parties or whatever. But other than that, not at class. But I just sort of felt the need to leave London because I've grown up here. I've, I felt like I just needed to try living outside of it. So I looked sort of for courses that would allow me to do illustration or design or animation which is what I ended up getting into um of course that was broad basically so Bath offered it so you got you left South London at 18 yeah and like you've never come, come back am I right <laughs> <laughs> the way you said it <laughs> no, but it's... I've not come back I, no only for I mean visits. not ever you know but you don't <laughs> you've never come back lived to live. back no then. I haven't it was sort of by chance I mean yeah after uni- well, after university I did I was back at my parents um when I was looking for work, I started working for the BBC and was still living with my parents for a bit, I think. Um, then was looking to move in with mates and they found a place that was in Finch, in Finchley Central in North London. So any, And the decision was made without me. So I can't, <laughs> and, there, and, and I've been there since because my brother lives in North London as well now. So. so it wasn't like Norwood needs to be behind me forever? No, I mean, I, I definitely wanted to move out of home. And the guys I was going to move in with, they were uni mates who were in London, found this place and I was like, yeah, wherever, you know, it's far away from home. It could have been in somewhere else in South London and, you know. Be a different conversation. <laughs> so I read in a uh, Tiny Pencil interview, Andy, they asked you if you your favourite city in the world. Do you remember what you said? This was a while back. Did I say... Well, what's the answer even? Could be a better question. Metropolis. What's the city in Blood Bowl? Yeah, <laughs> I can't remember what I said. It was in New York or was it Barcelona? It might be one of those cities. You know what? It was Barcelona, and you said the city you like to draw most is New York. So that's consistent. Correct. Oh, okay. So Barcelona, what? What's Barcelona got over over South London? <laughs> <laughs> Only sunshine and Gaudi. Yeah, and that. Yeah, I think with my um, and Messi. I mean, if we start making a list, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, on and on. <laughs> no, I think it's uh, it's part of my like Mediterranean roots. Likes appreciates the sunshine, so I think that's probably why. I was going to name a city in Cyprus, and I realised I didn't know any. Lim- oh, actually, Limassol was that side of Cyprus. Yeah, yeah. I do know one. I know one. <laughs> so, and in terms of drawing the city, um, you know, you say New York's your favourite. Uh, place to draw that was the answer in the question anyway but what about (laughs) it was a very it was a very specific question in the interview as a set I think it was a set series of questions it's not like I'd love to go to New York with my sketchbook I wish (laughs) Um, uh, I mean what I'm leading to that with that I guess is does South London inform your work at all because say Lost Property is very much set in a kind of fictional non-place isn't it yeah an Um, English place I think it yeah, certainly it's English. English. Yeah, but it's, it would, it would it's, never, right. it's not something you would ever try and place. Like you read it and you don't go. I wonder if this is a reference. It's very much for me. Uh, it seems to be a kind of fic, uh, you know, in a fictional realm almost. Also, I, I think with your work, 
it's not so much that, uh, there's a sense of place in, and it feels very English but you don't focus on place your work is character focused rather than do you know I mean there's not a lot of of uh, establishing shots of, of particular cities or, or yeah, buildings yeah. it's about the people and what they're doing rather yeah. than where they're doing it yeah I, I think with Lost Property he's probably got um, the most sense of place of all the stuff I've done yeah um, just because it needed it to. It needs a town uh, uh, yeah. for him to go to a few different Yeah, he's a postman, and, you, postman, yeah. and the, 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 obviously the lost property office is in, you want to get a sense of where it, where it exists. But I think also I wanted that to feel a little bit timeless in the way it looked, um, just from an aesthetic point of view. You know, it kind of felt right. And I, the, the, a story about memory and the past. And so, and, and for it not to feel completely contemporary, it yeah. felt right, um, that's probably why it doesn't maybe doesn't feel like any place in particular. Um, having said that, we're talking about drawing and South London. I did do a, you know uh, doing my A level. I did my A levels at Kingston College, um, and a lot of the when we would have to go out and do drawing and sketches and painting and stuff, I would do a lot of that around Loughborough Junction and around Brixton because I would often be doing it after working at my dad's shop or while I was there and I would nip out and do photography. And, and obviously there's a, well, certainly back then in the early nineties to mid nineties, it's pretty sort of grimy and rough around yeah, there. So a lot of them. It's just, it cannot shake it, can it? Right. It's just like the Still. grimiest place you can find. Certainly at that point, I've always thought Loughborough Junction, there was this advert, um, maybe ten, no, seven or eight years ago. Can't remember what it was for, but at one point the person walks past that old futon workshop that's just been derelict and still <laughs> derelict in Loughborough Junction, and it is just like it's it's like no, it's like the extreme of that kind of derelict but still functional. Yeah, you know, yeah. city. Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, I mean, this is a bit of a, a tangent, but I remember. Um, going to the shop like one Saturday morning and uh, walking down Hernhill Road. Is, is it Hernhill Road? Hernhill Road's the main, the main the, yeah, the big road that leads from yeah. Denmark Hill down exactly, to... Exactly, yeah. So I'd get off the, the 68 bus and then walk down Hernhill Road. So the, the shop was opposite the bottom of Hernhill Road, right? Oh, yeah, by, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's like a, I don't know, a, it's a chicken shop or something. Yeah, now. Yeah. I'm not quite sure. But uh, I remember walking down and then just sort of seeing smoke like in the vicinity of the shop because there's like an overpass there and, and traffic lights I'm like what's going on and then next, so next to my dad's greengrocers was a TV repair shop that was there for years and getting down to the traffic lights and seeing it just gutted and like charred black you know like oh the fire was been, put out already yeah yeah but it was like you could just smell it and it was yeah. um, it had just been completely burnt down to the ground by some my dad, I remember dad, my dad telling me the story, not quite as it happened, but maybe after it had passed, you know, it was some revenge tale of a guy who um, apparently took his TV to be repaired at this repair store. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I... it's not going to be a thing about that <laughs> TV <laughs> gone wrong, is it? It is, it is that. Um, this is what I was told anyway. This guy took his TV in to be repaired and then got um, done and taken to prison, this guy for however long it was like a year or 18 months and all the while his tv was still in this repair shop right. and so apparently i forget the name of the guy around the place i think it might have been dennis but he sold the tv because like well this guy's not coming back he's yeah, yeah. locked up right sold the tv and then eventually the guy gets out 
and turns up in like, <laughs> where's my t- apparently where's my TV? I sold it. I want my TV. I sold it like six months ago, and threatened him. He says, if you don't get my TV back, I'm going to burn you to the ground. And sure enough, did it. Wow. And you know, like the. Um, you know, obviously the staining of the burnt walls all came through, yeah, ruined yeah. all my dad's fruit and veggie. I had to chuck it all the day stock out and, it was, you know, you couldn't sell it because all the fruit and veggie yeah. stunk. It was Well, it's also a thing weird. of, like, arson's one of those things where you might want to just burn down this one yeah. thing, but it's all connected, isn't it? Is like, it the Battersea Arts Centre burnt down today? No. It was, it was on fire anyway. Today? Right. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I've missed that completely. Yeah, it was like, you know, they're like, there's no performances tonight. Because it's on fire, you know. Right. But yeah, that that's definitely a tangent, isn't it? But I see I'll send them burning <laughs> down. I've got a, a possibly ridiculous question. On the front of Lost Property, yeah. the building's number is... Ah, uh, yeah. The building's number is 68. Is that um, a tribute to the bus? No. <sighs> so oh. I, I, I really thought, because I knew about your connections between that area. Uh, and I was like, maybe you used to get the 68. Because I used to get the 68 to yes, school. Yes, right. And, and I figured maybe you, and you just said there that you got off the 68. Yes, yeah, Tell yeah. subconsciously. No, <laughs> it's actually, um, it's actually my, my parents' house is 68. Ah. And the street, um, that the road that the, sh- the lost property office is based on is named after that street. Right. So, right. Um, or slightly changed. So that that's what it is. It's like, it's... My home, so it basically. is. So, South uh, Lost Property is essentially set in South London. That's all we're saying. <laughs> if, Thanks. If you're going to go by, if you're going to go by the address of the office, then yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. SE, it's an SE nineteen postcode in that case. Right. Yeah. I'd never thought of that. I mean, don't yeah. use the book to navigate. <laughs> <laughs> so, what did you do after university then? Did oh, you yeah, go so into animation. No, I didn't. I studied animation, or I, I sort of specialised in animation. And I did a, um, a short, like, hand-drawn animated piece for a competition in our final year. Um, and it, I, find it's, I found it so labour-intensive that um, I, I was kind of exhausted by the end of it and thought, I don't really know that I want to do this for a living. Which was a bit of a shame because kind of like a few years later, software packages kind of turned up. It sounds so archaic to think that they didn't really <laughs> exist back then, but... You know, now with After Effects and stuff, it obviously makes it a lot easier. But back then it felt to me like if I was going to be an animator, I was going to have to do it this way, which was drawing... to draw 24 pictures for every second. Yeah, or, or 12. You can right. kind of get... Or you could get away with 12 back then, but... Cutting um, corners all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that hasn't changed. But, um, and so I was also doing live action stuff at college at the same time, like little short films and idents and stuff. And that's how I managed to get a job at the BBC um, making promos and idents for them. It was using that kind of little show reel I had. And I, so kind of animation fell by the wayside. And I was sort of quite glad of it because I liked the idea of if I was going to tell stories with moving image, that it would be with other people rather than just... You having to generate me every... being part. alone in a room drawing. And, yeah. and now here I am doing exactly that all over again. <laughs> so, yeah, I, yeah, so I went to the BBC and then and then... At that stage, I thought, well, I suppose I want to be a director now. I guess that's what I'm... If I'm going to make it, then that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to try and do. So I, st- I still read comics. I still had the idea of wanting to draw them. And still drew them on the side a little bit, but never published anything or printed anything or dared to kind of show anyone. Do you remember the first comics you read? Like, not necessarily this first issue, but the first kind of comics you read. Was it kids' comics, superhero stuff? It was, yeah, it was superhero. It was like Batman and um, Peanuts and Asterix. I think Peanuts probably had the biggest 
probably resonated the most. Um, I think my brother or sister had like those paperback novels. Yeah, the pocketbooks. Yeah, which, the coronet yeah. ones, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't really remember, but they were so good. You know, like yeah, it, it was just packed, weren't it? It was so, yeah. you know, so yeah. much to I go used through. To just when I was a kid, I used to get them from charity shops, and they used to carry a list with me if we went on holidays, <laughs> particularly. I pull out this. I had it, it was on like a piece of like graph paper, and it just uh-huh. had a list of all the ones I had and didn't have. And it's just like you're just snatching them off the shelf, as if someone else in the shop's going to grab it before you. Just like I don't have number like Gold forty-two dust. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, ten p. Should get mm. those out of shed, man. <laughs> I, yeah, I recently, um, I recently came across like a sketchbook that I had when I was about eight, nine years old. Um, that has got these like really primitive strips in, so you could see like I was reading it somewhere. And then trying to draw my own little, and they were like two, not even panels, but two images next to each other. And uh, you can, I think you can see the paint, the kind of like melancholy of peanuts in these strips because they're, they're sort of, they're meant to be funny, but they're actually all quite dark. Yeah. And there's this really simple egg character who just falls off a cliff or bangs his head (laughs) or it just never works out for him. Goes to kick a football, falls over. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just ripping off, ripping off shorts, basically. Going back to uh, films and stuff. Sorry, or yeah. Filmmaking, just because Steve, it ain't processed Steve. So. <laughs> Did you do anything at the BBC that we would have seen? Um, maybe. Well, I, I sort of worked on um, the bits. So I didn't really, I didn't work on programmes as such. I worked on the bits that are in between the programmes. So but is that like, segregated between like light entertainment, drama? Like, would you work on anything? Would you work on sport as easily as you would on? Um, the department at the time um, was generally uh, divided up into like uh, channels. Right. So you would, you would make um, promos for BBC One or BBC Two or BBC Three when it when it launched. I was there when it launched, and uh, a long time ago. And um, but there was also a bespoke sport team, right? That would do that would do like the World Cup yeah. stuff and the um, Wimbledon stuff and that stuff. Is yeah, because quite... you'd imagine like with something like sport idents, you'd need a particular knowledge. Do you know what I mean in terms of like knowing well, what's yeah, interesting? Yeah, yeah. Those the things significant things moments, you see the significant a, characters, but you see the different approach with those things. Hmm. You see, like like when you see like a Nike advert. It's not some. It don't look like broadcast sport, does it? No, no. It looks like someone's taking yeah, a different yeah, approach I mean, to it. Yeah. If you were, um, if you were shooting something to promote a new channel or an, or, or a new season or whatever, a new drama, you would. You're sort of doing it like it's a commercial. That's your aim. So I guess having the knowledge helps, as particularly with sport. But you know, if you're promoting a new comedy or if you're working I, I did a, most of my stuff was BBC Two so I was in a fortunate position where the shows you're promoting are more interesting like I used to I did stuff for like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and the, I used to, uh, The Simpsons when it was on the oh, BBC wow. and um, what did you do for Buffy? what kind of thing was that? that was uh, actually that was maybe just doing that was like gra- that was actually might have been animated stuff and graphics so that wasn't right, actually right. shooting stuff but for other shows like Robot Wars like that was one of the bigger things I did, the show was really popular at the time, yeah, and that yeah. was um, that was good fun to do because I got to shoot. I wrote this little script and got to shoot with the actual robots, which are like, yeah, oh, this is going off on my, <laughs> this is going off on one again. But they're like, you know, they're you see them on TV and you think they're quite small because they're relative to each other, of course. Yeah, yeah. they are. They're, 
the size of like small cars right. and they're really dangerous and you've got to stay well back yeah. because yeah, they some can of them cause a lot of damage because that, yeah. that spring loaded axe could go off at yeah, 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 yeah. I mean really yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure you turn up and you're circular saw joking <laughs> but they give you this proper health and safety tour yeah. before you go anywhere near them anyway but we also did like those little two did you logo get to have items. a go on the robots? I think I did yeah right. like totally circular dro- lot yeah, it was with him. He was one of the first. He was one he of was the lovely ones. Well, <laughs> yeah. What's a sweetheart? He'd do anything you asked. <laughs> so that was basically kind of like learning how to. That was kind of like my training for getting into um, commercials and advertising, really, and music videos and that sort of thing. It was a, it was a brilliant place to learn how. Yeah, because it's such diverse output, isn't it? That's the thing. You, yeah. you know, this, from the Simpsons to robots. Yeah. Um, so all of that stuff was good, yeah, it was just good practice, really. Learning how to sort of try and tell a little story in 30 seconds or 40 seconds. And So in terms of adverts, um, you've done many, many. What um, Again, what are the ones that we, we've seen? <laughs> I hate when people ask that. Oh, why? why <laughs> well, because, they're never, because people always uh, they want to hear, like, really sexy... Like, they want to hear Wonder Nike. And, like... <laughs> <laughs> no, but, like, if you've not done Nike adverts, that's fine. Like, if, but, I, you know, it's just, you'd be like, oh, he's, he did the, um... Yeah, actually, what, what Moodle advert with a... I've got a question about one of the adverts, actually. Okay. The one where it's in space and the two guys. Oh, yeah, that was really good fun. Yeah. Is one of those guys one of the installers from your short film? Yes, it exactly. is. Yeah, yeah. I think it's because his face is, is, like, you know, it's like the circular Who, thing where most for? of his head's covered up. Um, that was for so the commercial was for um, Intercasino, which is an online gambling um, website, and the it was a yeah it was a competition to win a trip to outer space on one of these like commercial um, journeys. You know, I can't imagine that person who won that. And now we made this ad like three years ago. Yeah, um, I can't imagine they've cashed their chips with that because like. <laughs> um, they, 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 they haven't They're even really started those. Yet, yeah, they? and yeah, it wasn't yeah. with Virgin Galactic, it was with something else. So right, right. They're probably still waiting on that one. But it was a, that, I mean, that was a brilliant job uh, because it was, the, because you're given the strap line, which was um, an extraordinary prize for ordinary people or something right. like that. So it was like... Um, they give you your premise. Two, yeah, two yeah. ordinary, two, two mates just like yeah. having a bit of chat, a bit of banter, but they happen to be in a spaceship, you know, going orbiting the earth so that was really good yeah but you, you're right well spotted it was do you, do you work with a lot of the same people or do you try to it, have you got certain people that you just sort of go I know this person I sort of trust them as a performer um, well in terms of cast sometimes I mean I think you uh, for me like you want to work with people you've worked with before who are brilliant and talented and that actor in particular Martin Collins his name is he's a great comedy actor um had you worked with him? Was it the advert first and then the short film, or the no? Other that one? was the that was the short film first, right? And then so after you've worked with um, those guys, you want to work with them again. You want to because they do the short films for free. You want to sort of help them out as well, and give them yeah, up, yeah. give them paid work when you can. The problem is you have to get them past. God, this is quite boring, but you know you need to get them past like market marketing people and clients, and often you put well, them. He's great forward. for the advert, though, isn't he? He's got yeah, that he's wonderful everyman. Aspect. Yeah, there's one thing yeah. getting like a grip. On, on your crew, innit? And it's quite another thing going, I'm going to meet yeah. this guy in front yeah. of the camera. <laughs> but also, but also you, you'll struggle to get, um, like I'll want to use the same, you know, the same crew again and again because you have a great relationship with them. But sometimes you have to okay them with clients yeah. because they... Because Frederick if Elms. 
<laughs> so yeah, that's... you work with a cinematographer from a razor head blue velvet, and you know he's worked with Jim Jarmusch, Ang Lee. Yeah, yeah, that was. Um... What was that on? That was ah, uh, see, that was one of the highlights of my directing career, if you like, working with him because I'm a massive David Lynch fan, and uh, getting to work with him was I was absolutely terrified at the prospect. And what had happened was my um, the person who runs the production company that looks after me for directing work had quietly made the call to see if he was available for the job, which was a Burger King ad. Um, so, like, not a glamorous ad at all. In fact, it was... The, the one with the Texan and the... Yes, yeah. the Mexican, yeah, right, yeah. yeah. So the, the, it was like meant to be like this quite weird, unusual... Yeah, and ...buddy, little buddy story of a Texan, uh, like a cowboy and yeah. a Mexican wrestler living together um, and being best mates, basically. It was a bit of fun. Um, but, yeah, she quietly called his agent to see if he'd be available and sent uh, my showreel to him to see what he would think. If Lin- he'd be up for, he said. <laughs> yeah, and he was, and he was, it was ridiculous. He was like really complimentary about it and stuff. Wow. And um, it was a joke. So I got to work with him. <laughs> it was it's a clown, joke that he liked it. It's cl- yeah, this clown uh, messed around. What's Zeno? <laughs> yeah. So um, I got to go to LA and film that um, in this like amazing house in the suburbs um which like didn't really need any art direction it was like <laughs> perfect you know like wood paneling and like chintzy so it's all filmed in, in an existing structure that advert was yeah wow. and there's actually as you say it is it works isn't it yeah it, it was beautiful yeah, yeah. and uh, actually that house is in um yeah appeared in zodiac the david fincher film oh, um, right. is it right? yeah yeah because the owner, this like lovely old lady, was telling I've us. I've worked with that house. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's a sweetheart. He was doing there's one. Um, there's one shot where there's a horse um, helping to lick yeah, uh, envelopes because um, it's signing up. Yeah, autographs, autographs rather. And they had to get and this really dangerous. Obviously, bringing a horse into a house, you've got to be really careful with it. But they did it. They brought the horse into. Wow. That's how they roll it in LA. You know, you can do that sort of thing. I imagine you have to pay a premium for that with like, the owners of the house. You like there's there's this yeah. amount. You have to, you've got and to lay down like another five hundred dollars if you bring in a horse. You've in. got to lay down. Well, you've got to lay down boards. This is this no, is nerdy. No, no, no. Stuff. I don't know about this. You've got to lay down boards so that every the level is completely set, um, right, flat. Right. You can't have like a step up yeah, or a step yeah. down. It's got to be completely leveled off. It's like a bit of a diva horse, is it? <laughs> well, just you know, you stand and <laughs> rose petals on the boards, <laughs> <laughs> carrots, <laughs> carrots strewn everywhere. Um, yeah, but that was um, working with him. It was just like a really, um, even though it was like a, it was it was a fun ad, but it was you know it was just it wasn't a film or anything. It was a Burger King commercial. No, but was it a but couple of days? It was only one day. It was a quite. It was very low budget. Nailed um, But but I think you know the, in between shooting films, he was in at the time he was in between shooting. Um, he'd just finished shooting Synecdoche, New York. Is yeah, it yeah. Synecdoche or Synecdoche? Uh, Synecdoche. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Charlie Kaufman. Yeah, he yeah. just finished that, and wow. uh, he was about to do something else. And they have, if they if they're in LA and they happen to have a few days off, mm. it's a bit of extra. And he works one day's work. And, and yeah, it was it was quite it was pretty intimidating, but he was absolutely lovely. And I got to spend my lunch time talking with him about his college days with David Lynch and his um, transcendental meditation, and because he also practices oh, it. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, but like the. Um, yeah, it's amazing. The whole crew were just the, the crew were actually the crew from Mad Men as well, and it was just <laughs> so intimidating. It was so it was I, I've completely felt out of my depth. 
but they're all lovely, you know. There's yeah, no, yeah. There was well, no professionals. Yeah, they? and they yeah, want to just do a good job, like, and yeah. yeah. It's well, not a bad day's work, is it? It makes me look. It makes me look good. Cheers. <laughs> but it was good. It was, must have been like, yeah, it must have been such a privilege. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, it was that. It was that thing where um, you, you know, often when you're kind of like directing, you need to kind of make a decision. You need to. You need to at least act like you know what you're doing when you're you're making a decision about something like a prop or whatever. Even if you don't know, you just like make a decision. Just fire someone. But with yeah, yeah. <laughs> very he, strong. He doesn't work for us. Uh, <laughs> but he would. I want him out, but he's leaving anyway. <laughs> but he would, in that case, um, I guess me being so like looking up to him and stuff. Someone would would move in a prop because um, it was all meant to be quite amusing. We'd have all these kind of funny cowboy or Mexican wrestler themed props to make it amusing. Little detail for people to notice in the background. Someone would like put something in and say, "Andy, are you happy with that?" And I'd be like, "Yeah, it looks great." What do you think? And, yeah, yeah. Like that. <laughs> no, he wouldn't. I wouldn't even ask him. I just hear him like he'd be looking through the lens, and he would just say, mm, "I'm not." Get it out! Get it on fire! Burn it! But you realise, like he's so. I don't know. These these guys are professionals. You know, they're like masters of what they do, and they sort of almost see it, see things in a completely different way. I suppose, hmm. which I clearly don't. That's his job as well, isn't it? You know, yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know? yeah. So you're a big fan of tea, Andy. It's uh, sort of a bit of a theme in your work, almost. Yeah, actually, there's um, there's a South London connection to this, beyond where I grew up. Um, part of the tea interest came from just after... It was kind of after I graduated, so I was back in South London living at my parents. So this was just before I got the job at the BBC. My sister um, ran the tea room at the Dulwich Picture Gallery. Oh. So and and this was before it had a bespoke um, oh, building right. for yeah, the tea. Yeah, it yeah. was basically like a, 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 a massive tent outside in the garden in the summer months. So she ran it, and I was a waiter there. So that's how oh. I earned a bit of money while I was applying for jobs, various like companies. And fancy, so isn't it? fancy. What the Dulwich Pitch Gallery? Yeah. Well, yeah. I guess maybe it was different those days, but just Dulwich Village. That is like, yeah. right, that's the villagey bit as well. Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. It's pretty, um, yeah, you get a certain type of clientele um, around those parts. Um, so was it a case of them having a tremendous range of teas and you just sort of... No, it was It was actually, no, it was really quite simple. It was, the, it was like my sister running the place and me working there and then me and her in the mornings before it got busy or at the end of the day sitting there um, in the gardens of this kind of quite beautiful gallery space, drinking tea together and talking about stuff. And me, like, being at a stage where I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do to earn money and, like, where I should try and take my, you know, career. Well, I didn't have one at the time. And and also for her, she was running a tea room, but she had ambitions to have her own tea room. And it was that... It was like that shared tea experience, which I think is something that comes into teapot therapy. Absolutely, yeah. The first comic, um, proper comic. So it's an emotional thing rather than the connoisseur. You know, sort of like it's just like this, the positive. Yeah, thing it was that. It, it was that sort of shared tea bonding experience thing with, like, you know, a member of family, someone you're close to, and yeah, that was where. I mean, you know, we both, both of us love tea. You know, it's part of the growing up thing as well. Obviously, um, at home. But I think that's where that real passion sort of like kicked in right. and has stuck with me. And now my sister runs her own tea room. Um, she sort of, many years later, managed to get a where, business together. Like, that's in Surrey, in Rygate in oh, Surrey. Okay. Yeah. That's a nice part of the world as well. Yeah, Rygate, yeah, it's lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's good. 
and so she managed to do that and I'm and you know I remember I, yeah I would do I suppose I would do a lot of sketches and stuff while I was there when I had time tell me about teapot therapy Andy so that was the first comic I decided I managed to actually draw and finish and I think the reason I actually finished it was because it was for the um, Jonathan Cape Observer Comico Graphic Short Story Prize which is the annu- an annual um, four page short comic competition um, so I'd sort of admired previous entries and I'd sort of seen the winners um, the winner gets published in the Observer I think every year so I'd seen previous entries and been you know, really impressed with the kind of standard of work and thought I should really just give it a go and see what I can do and use the deadline as an opportunity to actually get something done and not start and then let it fall by the wayside. So yeah, I used the competition as a way of getting it done and the idea was, I think I had like, again, the seed of an idea for it. Um, It wasn't really fully developed. It was just kind of the idea of sharing that shared tea experience, but it having importance between two people, you know. Um, So it was that coupled with, um, I think I'd had that idea in the back of my mind. And then I remember a a guy, like a a plumber coming round to my flat to fix something and maybe offering him a cup of tea and... and then sort of spark something. Yeah, yeah, the idea, what if... um, Yeah, and sort of somehow put the... I can't quite remember, put the two together. And it became the story of... um, yeah, someone who had some had a partner that they would have that shared tea experience with that they lost, and then and then the links they would kind of go to in order to to generate that experience. Yeah, again. yeah, to relive that, to share, to have a cup of tea with someone all over again, even if that person was a stranger and lured in under false pretenses. They would <laughs> it was still they still needed that company, you know. Is it coloured with tea? Is that the, am I thinking of the right comic here? Yeah. It is, yeah. So um, I would, uh, I did washes of like uh, English breakfast tea. I would sort of like brew it for quite a bit of time and then just do washes of it on watercolour paper at various kind of strengths. So you'd get different um, opacities of it, I guess. Then I would scan that in um, and then use it. So I wasn't literally kind of painting with it into the panels. I would scan in, in the way you would scan in textures and then use that in Photoshop to kind of, give give a comic a more or give it any illustration a more organic look i scanned it in and then for the most part in that story used the original tea color so i didn't i wanted wanted it to feel true to the color of that leaf. brew or leaf yeah yeah <laughs> um and then for certain parts of the comic where i wanted it not i didn't want the whole thing to be brown um i would tint tint that bit of tea an area if it like uh, someone's sweater or a background element in Photoshop, so it's still the same texture, but just yeah, you're layering the colour on top, but you've still got that under yeah, yeah. underlying thing of yeah. the tea giving it the yeah. texture. But it's all one; it's all the same tea. It's not. I wasn't making different colour teas. So. I don't think if I if I'd gone for that approach, I would have missed the deadline. Right. I mean, I didn't. I, I you know, I think probably originally my thought was, oh, it'd be lovely to draw the whole thing with tea, like the whole thing. But you know, knowing how long it takes me to draw anything. Um, going down the sort of more digital route was the the only way it was going to get done. It gives it an incredible look, though. You know, you kind of have this idea, and you, but people maybe have an idea about digital 
of as being quite a kind of cold thing. You know. Cold and flat and squared off. And yeah, but I mean, all, the way but... you kind of bring the bring the sort of real world textures into the kind of into into a digital uh, space is it's quite it makes for quite an incredible result. And you, you've done the same with um, Lost Property, not uh, T, but it is T actually. Um, oh, is it? It is. I yeah. I mean, because... I left. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the. It's different. It's some of the same and some other tea textures that I had because I scanned in loads and loads. And I also scanned in other ink wash textures, but I still preferred the sort of the grain of the tea texture. You would never know looking at um, Lost Property that it was tea texture. And and I've taken, I think with Lost Property, I wanted it to feel like there were areas of splash tea and whatnot. You can see the kind of different consistency Mm. in the wash. With Lost Property, it's probably a bit more digital looking and a lot flatter. But there's still a texture behind the artwork, um, hopefully to stop it feeling completely digital. Um, and that is a, a sort of flatter area of tea wash. So I, they, it is tea, but, you know, you just... It's not thematically related to tea in any way, so I don't really make a deal of it. But it does give it that same sort of warmth, I think. Do you think? Yeah, I think so. And I, I, I think, as you say, if it was purely digitally coloured, yeah. it would be very hard. It's possible, because you can, obviously, yeah. with various effects, you can yeah. lay on it. But I think having this organic warmth, which, you know, ties in with, with the feel of, of teapot therapy, really sort of elevates the piece. Mm. Yeah, I mean, some people are able to, to work completely digitally um, and, and, and give it a warmth and an organic quality. Yeah, well. I'm yeah. not, I, I, I struggle unless I've got a texture just to, to help it along to sort of embed the line and everything else. But also you've innovated, you know, uh, a wonderful sort of trademark look to your work. That's, that's a, a, something of value and worth sort of retaining, I think, isn't it? If people go to ajpiaggi.bigcartel.com, they can buy all of your stuff, probably apart from Lost Property. But one of the things you can get there for, I believe, £2, isn't it? Teabag theories. Yeah, uh, teabag theories, you can uh buy it from yeah my web store teabag theories was uh it was kind of uh originally actually i think originally i was going to do it as a little offshoot of teapot therapy when i printed so after the competition um had its run i sort of printed some copies of teapot therapy myself just to sort of sell in various comic shops like gosh and other places um and thought it might be a nice little extra to have to sell with it and i was going to do maybe another little story to go inside an actual um, tea bag, so it'd be like a mini comic, and then it sort of became its own thing in the end, uh, its own little kind of series of sort of science mini comics, which uh, attempts to use tea as an analogy for various um, theories in to to explain various kind of theories or mysteries in the world of science. Um, so it, yeah, so tea bag theories are sort of born out of that, and I've attempted to explain elements of gravity um and the origins of life um and there's another one brew the primordial brew yeah that one's called and there's another one which i haven't finished which is um t equals mc squared um (laughs) which is trying to explain relativity with t sounds Um, like an andy piaggi parody isn't it (laughs) (laughs) yeah so that's also available um there's three of those yeah, they're beautiful little things, and they? Lovely, lovely. And you get a free tea bag as well. Yeah, you can. <laughs> you, well, you, you can take... colour it yourself. You know. Yeah, you can. I, I use those tea bags at home when I've got like um, loose tea. tea. Yeah. yeah. 
Have you ever done a tea advert? Oh. You didn't do the monkeys carrying the piano upstairs, did you? <laughs> <laughs> you, got, you got me and my dad. <laughs> you got me a bit of work. <laughs> That's unbeatable, isn't it? In a way. <laughs> I thought when you one. said monkey, I thought you were referring to like Johnny Vegas, but nothing. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that is obviously a reference to that, isn't it? I'd never made that connection before. To I guess, just yeah, said it. Of course I, I, it is, isn't it? Right, I yeah. guess it wasn't its inception, but then it became yeah. its own thing. It did it? definitely, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's not bad, was it? That's good. We've got one at home. We've got one at home. I've wanted to make. Um, tea-based ad I've, I've sort of um, if anyone from Tetley's is listening yeah or Clipper <laughs> or Twinings yeah or PG Tips yeah or, or um, other tea brands are available yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've yeah I've actually I've, I've tried to get in but I've not had any luck I don't think I have probably got a ton of ideas haven't you I'd love it I'd absolutely love it <laughs> perfect job Saffron the Hardcore is part of the Holdfast Network visit holdfastnetwork.com for other podcasts you may enjoy mm-hmm.